good to see you, good to see you. If we could turn to Matthew, Matthew 24. Actually, sorry, Matthew 25. Matthew 25. At the moment... We're in a phase and a season that is focus or has its epicenter in the theme of preparation. Many people are glad that they prepared for quote-unquote, this virus. Many people are sort of thinking about, maybe I should have done this, I should have done that, I should have done this. Many people say, next time I will be prepared. It's all, there's a lot of emphasis on preparation. Because when a crisis comes, people know to mitigate that crisis, to lessen the severity of the crisis. It's about preparation. I want to read from our text, Matthew 25. And please, don't sleep on me tonight. I generally believe that the Holy Ghost has got a specific direct word for specifically Bromley. Michael, help me out with our friend. If he does, please throw water on him. Okay. (laughs) Verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for your lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Say, No, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Preparation. In our text, there's 10 actors involved. The 11th actor is this very special one. But the 10 are 5 and 5. They're virgins. They're denoted as women. But it could be denoted as anyone. The point of the matter is not the sex. The point of the matter is the prep. The Bible says five are wise, five are foolish. Now, 
To you and I, when we hear the word foolish, we think of someone who has got an intellectual capacity which is low. That's not how the Bible describes the word foolish. When the Bible looks at the term foolish, it's speaking about a character and it is denoting an evilness. The bridegroom. The bridegroom is the aim of all of these brides, all of the virgins. They all want to interact with the bridegroom. But there's a medium. There's something in the middle of all of this. There's an object that is involved in the parable. The object is a lamp. A lamp that shines. But in order for the lamp to shine, and in order for the flame to be aroused, there must be oil. Without the oil, there is no light. Ladies and gentlemen, for light, you need something to ignite it. The bridegroom has assured that he will come back. The problem with him coming back is no one knows exactly when. So now something happens that is very, very, very usual for the human race. That is, what you don't see, what is not seen, is out of mind. So, five virgins decide they will not labor or seek for the oil. And their rationale is quite good. There is no bridegroom to make this an urgent matter. There is nothing that is giving me the impression this is urgent. Why? Because we don't see the bridegroom. Because we don't see him, we will lax. Because we don't see him, we won't push. Because we don't see him, we will not drive in order to get the oil. And this is the problem. In a crisis, any crisis, including this one, it's a matter of oil. It's a matter of preparation. Because the Bible says the bridegroom will come back. But when he comes back, the unusual sentence it makes is, no one knows the hour when he does come back. So here's the question. Why is this the modus operandi of the bridegroom? Why does he function like this? Why does he operate like this? Because it's obviously intentional. The reason why he does it is he intentionally wants to know who will be prepared. It's 
in a crisis. One of the questions asked is, has the crisis come from the devil? Has the crisis come from God? Or is Jesus... I mean, which one? Is it from the devil? Is it from God? This is the two schools of thought. I'll take you to a middle school of thought. Not necessarily the devil, though he can play a part in it and capitalize on it. Not necessarily it's been sent from God, but he allows it. I repeat, he allows it. Why? Because the principle and the modus operandi of God is he's always looking to test and sieve to see what is authentic. Boris Johnson made a comment. A comment that was really punctuating. It was a, it was a very weighty comment. But it was a comment where people were taken back, but, we thought, but they thought, he actually just said that. This is what he said. During this time of the coronavirus, I can't even say it. That's why I don't take it seriously. All right, no, that's not true, I do, but during the time of the coronavirus, he said this. People, and possibly your loved ones, will die. Bam. He said, you will know people who will die. Your loved ones will potentially die. We thought he would come with a soft sell. We thought he might kind of do this kind of enthusiasm, kind of encouragement. No, straight between the eyes with the truth. What is he doing? He's preparing. Ladies and gentlemen, Bromley, let me prepare you. During this time, people who you know will spiritually die. People who you know will lose their faith. Now I can see people contorting at me. Why do I say that? Say it for this. All the years that the Holy Ghost has been speaking, whether through a pastor, a visiting pastor, evangelist, or even yourself, the message was clear. Take God seriously. Pray. Read your words. Pray. Read your words. Involve yourself in the things of God. Witness, evangelize, read your word, study the word, love Jesus, pray, seek your word. However, during a period of time, whether my time or Pastor Io's time, there were individuals who would not take the heed seriously. Sermon after sermon would go out. Brother after brother would speak to another brother. Sister after sister would try to advise and try to encourage. 
what was transpiring? What was transpiring was the landlords. The landlord was preparing the tenants to say, as Jesus said in his parable, I'm going to come back to my vineyard. And when I come back to my vineyard, I'm going to want some of the fruit. I'm going to visit you at a time you don't expect it. And when I come, I will determine if you have built your house on sand or if you built it on rock. Because when the crisis comes, when the storm comes screeching in, with this mewling and this gnarling, deadly voice with intent to take you out. The only ones who will survive will be those who built on a rock. The only ones who will survive are those who sowed spiritual things, who prayed when the Holy Ghost said pray, who read their word and who was stable on the rock. But those who refused to prepare, why should I pray? Why should I read my Bible? Why should I seek God? Why should I pursue spirituality? Why not be carnal? Why not be fleshy? Why do I have to, you telling me what to do? All this thing. All of that was for such a time as this. Because without being prepared, people will be frightened. And the truth is, they should be. Without being prepared, people will panic. And the truth is, they should. Without being prepared, their faith is wavering. If they still have faith, they don't know which way to go. They don't know how it's all going to pan out. Their trust is getting more food. That is their preparation. But the food won't save. My, we had, a, I had, a, I had all the Wolvenstone guys around on um, Monday, around my house. They came up to see me. Some of the Bromley guys were there. One guy, Rico, made a comment. And I thought he described it excellently. And to be fair, my, my daughter said it as well before even he said it. But when he said it, I was just like, whoom. He said, you know what, Pastor? This coronavirus is not the real thing. It's only a rehearsal. Because more will come and worse will come. But the question is, who's prepared? And I'm not speaking about preparation in getting more pastor and more toilet roll, and more cans of different... That's not the preparation the bridegroom is speaking about here. The five foolish virgins are outside faith now. They're knocking on the door. Ladies and gentlemen, you've got to understand this. What people are trying to protect now, and what they're panicked about now, is their biological life. 70 years, 80 years. What we're dealing with now in the bridegroom's preparation are those who lose their eternal life. Far more serious. Far more terrifying. Far more blood-curdling. 
And the absolute tragedy is, it's not like a tap that they could turn it on. This is what the five virgins are doing. They're now going to the virgins who have prepared. They're going to the virgins who were seeking God, who were seeking Christ, who were getting after it, who were laboring, who were toiling, who wanted to know that their Redeemer lives and they're pressing up for the upward calling. They were being inconvenienced for Jesus Christ. And now the foolish virgins go to them and say, lend me oil. Give me some of your oil. Give me some of your faith. But it can't be done at the last minute. The time it should have been done was three years ago, two years ago, a year ago was the time. Now in crisis, they don't know what to do. Terrifying. People have now gone back to the Garden of Eden. What do I mean by that? They've gone back to the principle of the garden. What's the principle of the garden? The principle of the garden is the serpent who tempted the couple. The serpent hates the couple, despises the couple, and wants to destroy the couple. God who created the couple, loves the couple, and cherishes the couple, how does it play out? It plays out that when God now comes into the garden, Adam and Eve run away from God, the very person who wants to help them. This is what this coronavirus would do in people who are fading away from the faith. The very God who loves them and who can heal their bodies, they will now run away from church because they're scared of catching something. Gone back to the Garden of Eden. Why would they respond that way? Because of fear. When you've not grounded in Christ, when he is not your trust, now you panic. Because you're not confident that he's going to intervene. And the reason why you're not confident, because you don't know him. And that's why when God says that, do not prepare to meet your God, but they're not prepared. I want to turn it because this is incredibly good news for you. For those who are prepared, Daniel speaks about them. Those who know their God will do great exploits. When you are prepared in a crisis, hear me, you do not come out the same. I repeat, when you are prepared in a crisis, you do not come out the same. Very practical example. Christ, are you prepared? Are you prepared for what is coming next? I've just been baptized. I've just declared to John, he knows who I am. I'm ready, I'm prepared. You're prepared. Now the Holy Spirit, who is God, is about to take Jesus Christ in Luke 4 into the wilderness. 
Are you sure you're prepared? I'm prepared. Remember, as now he's about to face not a wicked man, not a wicked human being. He's not even going to face a demon or a devil. He's going to face the prince, the king, the archetype, the embodiment of all evil, Lucifer, the head honcho. But Jesus is whispering, I'm prepared. Holy Ghost, you're the one who's bringing me into this. Because you want to see if I'm authentic. You want to see if I've got the goods. You want to see if I've got the capacity to redeem man. I'm prepared. Let's do this. Satan hits with three temptations. Jesus overcomes all three. Why? Because he was prepared. And as we said, and I said before, what happens after that? A supernatural angelic being comes and touches Christ and supernaturally empowers him. Ladies and gentlemen, you must think about the weight and the gravity of that event. In your Bible, you will not find, I believe, all right, in your Bible, you will not find a proliferation of miracles before that time. The miracles and the kingdom of God starts to be preached and the kingdom of God starts to echo and resonate around Israel after the temptation. What did Jesus do straight after the baptism and after that temptation? He goes back to his hometown. He goes into the synagogue and then he said, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the year of jubilee. This is the time I've come that the blind may see, that the lame may walk, that the deaf may hear. And he proclaims it as he quotes out of Isaiah. And then he says, today this is revealed. But then who are you? You're a carpenter. We know you. We know your mom. We know your dad. You're from Nazareth. But you don't understand. I'm not the same man. I'm prepared. And now I've gone through the temptation. I'm a different man than I was before. Every single one of you who has prepared in your faith for this crisis, heaven, not I, heaven promises you will never be the same. There will be something added to you, something steely, something wondrous, something powerful and potent. You will have new shields of faith, gleaming with star flame from heaven you would have the sword of life that is burning in eternal fire and glinting with silver flame and radiating and emanating power because you are like the five virgins who prepared the holy ghost said speak to me you spoke to him read your word get into the eternal word pray do the work of evangelists. Preach in and out of season. Pursue me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else. And you've done it. And now when the crisis has come, now that the bridegroom is coming at midnight, you're spiritually ready. 
But there are the five foolish virgins. They're not ready. Their children are sick. Have no idea how to pray for their kids because they haven't had a habit or practice of praying for their children before the crisis. Family members are unwell. Panicked about their finances or about their job. A person in preparation would know exactly what to do spiritually. They have no idea what to do. They don't know what to do because they haven't been doing it. I remember JD made a comment. There's a group of you guys who go to the gym. So as you're doing the gym and you're doing the gym, and he came out of a comment, like obviously, you know, you're, you're getting in better shape and you're getting, you know, you're working out and then, you know, your body starts to change for the good. And he said, this is a body that was made in winter. Now, I want to give him a few more months, but the, you understand the point. <laughs> but you get the point. The point is, it hasn't just materialized. It's like the other saying, when's the best time to fix the roof? Not when it's raining, but when the sun's shining. The best time to prepare for a crisis when there is no crisis. And this is why Jesus says he will visit. Why does he visit? This is why Jesus allows testings, and this is one of the reasons why tribulation comes and the seven years tribulation and the rapture. The rapture is not just about snatching God's people away. It's actually a judgment on those who say they're his people, but they're not, and they get left behind. Because he's saying, I'm going to come at a time when you're not ready, but you've not been preparing. You've not been living for me. You've not been seeking me. You've not been crying out to me. And the argument from the people, ah, oh, some man told me to pray. Ah, oh, some man was preaching in my face, telling me to do this or that. Some man told me to read the Bible. I read my Bible when I want to read my Bible. I'll serve God. I'll go to church on my terms, not because some guys tell me, I had some Christian brother telling me this, some Christian sister telling me this or that. I saw, you know, they're just telling me stuff. I do it on my terms. And then all of a sudden, the bridegroom comes. The mistake they made was all of those warnings and exaltations, they only saw flesh and blood. But the Bible says in Corinthians, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, principality, spiritual wickednesses, menacing, satanic warriors. If you take advice, or the impartation of spiritual brethren as just flesh and blood. You're going to miss the spirit. And this is why many today are in darkness because they've got no light for their lamp. And now they will call, ring me, ring you, ring this, ring that, and ask for oil, ask for some of our faith, but we can't give it to them now. Even as we speak, you'll go one it out the other. Why? Because they've missed the time of visitation. 
So I would say very boldly and with much remorse, almost prophetic, this day, many in the faith that you used to know, and I'm not prophesying it, I'm describing it. This day, they spiritually died. Not because I'm speaking death, because the seeds of death were planted years and months before. The reason why I say it, so you're not surprised when you hear it, when it comes through the grapevine. One thing about being around in the faith for a period of time, you understand that Jesus does prune. He does visit churches and individuals. He said to one lady in the Thyatira church, her name was Jezebel. He came to the leaders and he came to Jezebel. He said, Jezebel, I gave you space to repent. I gave you time to prepare. I'm here now. The bridegroom is here now. You're not prepared. I'm judging you because you wouldn't take advantage of the time I was giving you and pre-warning you. Ladies and gentlemen, in a sense, all of that, in a way, has almost nothing to do with you. What has got something to do with you is you've just opened up another dimension of heaven. You have just exploded into another phase of your faith. You have just come to another paradigm shift that you have never entered before. Why? Because you're battle-hardened against crisis. You have come to a point of open, manifested visitation. If my people will pray, I'll answer them. You can pray, he will hear you. You can cry out to Christ, and he's attentive. You can seek the supernatural, and things will occur. You can pray for protection, and protection will come. This is not the end for you this is a supernatural beginning if anything in this sermon is take advantage of it capitalize on it one man his name was Heraclitus he was a pre-Socratic philosopher meaning before the time of philosophy of Socrates, he lived around about 500 BC. He said, no man steps into the same river twice. Why? Because it's not the same river and he's not the same man. This is you. You're not the same man you was two weeks ago. 
You're not the same woman you were two weeks ago. To hold on to Jesus Christ at this time and still hold on to him. The reason why you hold on is because you've got light to your lamp and you know where he is. The foolish virgin don't know where he is because they're still in darkness. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. What did Jesus say in Matthew, in John 12? Just came to, think about what Jesus said. He said, work while you still have the light. For the darkness is coming when no man can work. The time when we had the light was months and years ago. That's the time to work, to work at your relationship with Christ. Because there's a darkness coming and in the darkness you can't do it then unless you practice it before. But as you are the virgins with the light, Jesus Christ will direct you to others. There are others out there who've also got oil for their lamp. But they don't know where they're going. They'll meet you. Why? Because you're the light of the world. And they'll be attracted to you like moths to a light. Just like God told Elijah, I've got many out there. See, during this time of quote-unquote crisis, the temptation, overwhelming temptation is, things are going to take a bad turn. Not at all. We will not only survive, we're going to thrive new things are going to occur. This will be Gosham in Egypt. Though the rest of Egypt could be in utter darkness, Gosham is still shining bright. None of the plagues are hitting Gosham. None of the diseases, the illnesses, the blackouts are happening in Gosham. This is Gosham. And there will be multitudes and multitudes of others who will come to Goshen. We will not survive, we will thrive. Our bridegroom, he's here. He's with us. He's for us. And here's the one his father is a cloud here. And that cloud will speak to every single one of you like it spoke to Peter, James, and John. This is my son. I'm pleased with him, but the father will also say, I'm pleased with you. Because you passed the test. In crisis, you held on. I'll finish with this. There was, a, um, there was a church service and basically it was in a third world country. They're having service and all of a sudden 
three terrorists break into the church service. They break open the doors with machine guns and machetes. As they break in, they shout the people, line up against the wall. As they line up against the wall, they're in a country having church in a place which is quite Islamist. As they break in, all the Christians, hundreds of Christians, are lined against the wall. One of the terrorists comes in the middle. The other two have got machine guns pointing at the people. And the terrorist says, he who doesn't want to die for their faith, can come out from the wall and go home. The rest of you who stay will be killed. They make this declaration and this ultimatum. Hundreds come out. Hundreds come out. So I'm not willing to die today. And there was still about another 80 or 100 against the wall. 300 walked out, another 100 against the wall, approximately 80, 90 something. And he says, okay, you guys are going, you want to die for your faith. You guys can go home. Machine gun. And just before they fired those bullets, the terrorist then said, I'm glad and I just want you to know we're not terrorists, we just wanted to find out who the hypocrites are and who's not willing to die for their faith. Thank you very much. And that's how God moves. He will allow certain things that he, that Jesus can ascertain all the months, all the years I've been working with you. Let's see where you're at. I can have an idea where people are at. Don't mean it's accurate. You can have an idea where people are at. Could be accurate, might not. But Jesus will want to find out. And he will release a crisis to find out. Like Jacob, what's your name? Who are you? I'll find out. A crisis is coming. I'm going to see how you respond and what you do. I'm going to find out what you've been doing all these prior years and all these prior months. And the thing with Christ is, don't misunderstand his character. You think, why would he do that? He's always done that. John 6, 6. John 6, 6, 6. He says, unless you drink of my blood and eat my flesh, you're not, you, you're not inheriting paradise. You're not, you're not going to have anything of me unless you drink my blood, eat my flesh. How do you feel about that? Well, we feel that's a hard saying. So we're turning back. And Jesus never said one word to try and get them back. Why? He's visiting them. He wants to know, where are you boys at? 
Then he turns around to his disciples and says, are you going to go as well? And they, Peter says, no, because you've got the words of life. Think about that. From that time of testing, those disciples were responsible for changing the whole world with supernatural power. Why? Because they were prepared for a crisis. The other 70 who left were not. Where are they now? Where are those 70 who left now? It's your guess if they're in heaven or if they're in the underworld. Who knows? Might have got saved later. Might not. Why? Preparation. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes.